Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country. Amen? Amen. So last week, we, uh, we looked at the birth of Jesus, and we looked at uh, Joseph hearing from this angel, and we looked at this uh, wrestling that Joseph was doing on whether or not he was going to leave Mary. And, and um, uh, when the Lord spoke to him through this angel and says that this is a child of the Holy Spirit, his name's going to be Jesus, he makes this decision to, to follow the Lord and to listen to the Lord and to be obedient. We looked at the genealogy of how uh, Jesus came uh, to be born, and all the people within his bloodline that are similar to the people within our bloodlines that come from jacked up families and jacked up histories, and how God is identifying with us, that he's not just uh, the king, like we're going to talk about this morning, the king of all nations, but he also identifies with us, the lowly, right? Us with bad blood and bad genes and a bad history and all these types of things that he's not afraid of, he identifies with us. I thought it was really important last week. This morning, there's three things that I want to share with you from these 12 verses. We're going to talk about wise men and wise women. We're going to talk about kings and kingdoms. And then we're going to talk about our future. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you've uh, uh, provided it for us, that we would be able to look back on exactly what happened and what was taking place and what you were speaking to your people, Lord, that it still speaks to us this morning. We ask that you would help us to understand what it means for you to come into this world, what it means for you to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Lord, the King of all nations, Lord God. We ask that it would affect us deeply this morning, that it would give us perspective, that it would give us encouragement, Lord, to take action, to do something something uh, because of what you've done for us, Lord God. We thank you that you identified with us. We thank you that you've given us examples of men and women of faith, Lord God, that trusted you and that they stepped out, Lord, that they surrendered unto you, Lord, giving us an example of what it is that you desire for us this morning, Lord. And the same way that you came into this world and you came into their lives, you came into that community, Lord, and you changed everything. Our desire is that you would come in in a special way this morning and change things, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So number one, wise men and wise women. What makes a man or a woman wise? 
What makes some of our young people wiser than other young people in their schools? What makes you uh, a wise man or a wise woman within the community you live in, within your family, within your workplace? How many of us would say that we are the wise ones in our job? We are the wise ones within our family. We are the wise one within our group of friends that when we get together, people are looking to us to give some type of direction, some type of encouragement to kind of set the pace for the groups that we're a part of. How do we identify who's wise and who's not? Most of the times in the world that we live in now, we identify education levels, right? Who's got the most education? Who knows the most? Who's got the most degrees? Who's got the most experience, right? Or seniority uh, in our workplace? Who's got the most seniority or experience within, within the teams that we're a part of? <clears throat> As adults, a lot of times we look at financial stability, we look at career, we look at accolades, right? When we look at people, they, they must be wise. Look, they've got retirement, they've got savings, they own a home, they've got vehicles. Right? There's, there's some wisdom associated with these things. When we look at jobs and who are the people in our workplaces that are speaking, who are the bosses, who are the managers, who are the presidents and the vice presidents, the CEOs, what type of accolades do they have? We look at families and family planning and, and family health, right? When you look around your community or your friends or your family, you begin to say, okay, well, who's got a strong family? Who's got uh, uh, stability within their homes? Who's leading that next generation onto better, better things and bigger things? And we say, hey, those are the wise ones, and those are the ones that we look up to, or that's what most of us are in pursuit of. See, I think all these things are good, but life hasn't always been about those types of things. The life that we live now is very individualistic, right? We look at it as what's best for me and my family, us four and no more. That's what makes you wise in today's age is what can you do for yourself? What can you establish for yourself? How can you be seen and how can you and yours uh, progress? But life wasn't always that way. Instead of it being about an individual, life used to be about a community. It used to be about a larger family. It used to be about all of us growing together and improving together and accomplishing things and having what we need. We look at the day and age that we live in and things have changed, which is okay, as long as we're aware of it, right? Now the goals from the time that you're, you're small, I was talking to somebody about our kids playing sports, and parents just rip their kids off of a team because they're not playing enough, they're not winning enough, they're not learning enough, and they go put them somewhere else. You remember when sports used to be about the actual team Amen. and the friends? Amen. And it was just as much fun to go like do a sleepover as it was to practice and play the games? Those days are gone. It's about everybody's going to the NBA. Everybody's going to the NFL, and whatever it takes for me to get there, it's not about community, it's not about family. Right? You'll go to another school. You've been playing with this kid for 15 years. You'll go to another school because there's a better quarterback that can get you the ball. That's the same thing that's happening within uh, regular life and communities. It's about you. It's about me. And it's wise to do whatever's best for you. It's wise to do whatever's best for me. So when we talk about wisdom or the wisdom of God, we're not talking about that type of wisdom. The wisdom that we, we're learning about in the Bible is about uh, a wisdom that is associated with a knowledge and pursuit of God. Amen. When we look at these wise men that are coming from the East in our story this morning, it's not a wisdom that's associated with what they've been able to acquire, what they've been able to learn, how they live their lives, what type of community that they're a part of. It's really focused on uh, this pursuit of God.
Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. If you look at the opposite of that, that means that the wise have said that there is a God. It's foolish to say there's no God. How many educated people do we know that try to disprove God? How many great families do we know that say there's no need for God? We've done everything that we need to do to take care of ourselves. What do I need a God for? How many uh, bosses do we know and CEOs and owners that are educated, right, and strong and have accomplished many things, but if in their heart they said there's no God and there's no uh, pursuit of God and there's no desire to serve God, the Bible says that they're foolish. What do you say? Who are you looking to for wisdom? And do you consider yourself to be a man or a woman or a young person that's wise? Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When you begin to say, man, there is a God and I need to be aware of that God. And I actually need to humble myself before that God and have a healthy fear or healthy reverence. How many of us, when we think about God, it's not like there's any consequences. It's not like there's any authority. It's not like he, he has rule or reign, right? The Bible says that the fear of him, right? And it's not like I'm scared I'm going to be abused. It's that I understand his authority. I understand his power. I understand his creativity. I understand that there's no me without him. That kind of fear, that kind of healthy reverence. He says that that's the beginning of wisdom. If Jesus is seen as your homeboy, like we see some shirts... <laughs> That's not wisdom. He's not just your friend, right? We love to sing that song, I am a friend of God, or maybe that's dating myself at least. We used to sing, I am a friend of God, and David was a friend of God, and all that kind of stuff. But that's not all he is. <laughs> He's not your homeboy. He's not just some, some guy that wants to make your life better and more fun and happier. He's the Lord of Lords, and he's the King of Kings. See, biblical wisdom is about acknowledging God, coming into a relationship with God, and it only happens through humility and surrender, Amen. right? That's the kind of wisdom that we're talking about. This last week, I was at work, and uh, I think it's gotten out that I'm a, a man of faith within the company that I work for, which is cool. It should get out. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> so, but there's haters out there. So... I had to do a, a meeting that I always have to do every month. There's like 250 construction workers, and I'm, I'm always talking to them. And you know, you guys know me. I can't help myself. So a lot of times I'll, I'll talk about spiritual things. I won't really preach a message, but I'll, I talk how I always talk, and I believe what I always believe. So last month it was just one of those times where I was talking about Mary being gone at the time, and I was talking about how I'm learning that there's so many things that are happening within my home and within my family, and there's so many things that my wife is doing that we need to acknowledge, that the small things make a big difference. And when, and when you have to do some of those things, um, how, how much of an impact it can make on your life, so on and so forth. So this month, we're getting ready to have the same meeting last week. And before I even start talking, I'm talking to some of the people that I work with. And I'm like, hey, you're going to be talking second. You're going to be talking third. And they're like, oh, amen. Oh, amen. All right. Praise the Lord. And, I, and it kind of threw me off because I was like, should I choke you out right now? <laughs> or should I focus on the meeting? Are you like, are you, are you trying to challenge me right now? <laughs> but the reason that I bring it up right now is that this idea of, well, what is wisdom? These guys are educated men and women. These guys have high positions, right? They've had years in the industry. They know more about construction than I could ever hope to learn. They've actually done the trades and now teach the trades. And here I am. I'm a safety manager. I know my job, right? However, what they're attacking me for is my faith. 
What they're challenging, challenging me, me about is how I see the world and what I think is important and what a priority is to me and how that flows through everything that I have to say anytime that I have to say it. So who's the wise ones? Where does wisdom really lie? What is it that we should be pursuing? When people look within these communities, who should they be looking to? Men and women of faith? Or men and women of other types of knowledge and understanding? Abilities and accomplishments? Who are we looking to? Right? See, the big picture of wisdom is it's ultimately focused on God and a pursuit of God and an understanding of God and this knowledge of God. And then all this other knowledge and wisdom are subcategories of that. Does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with our finances. There's nothing wrong with, with accomplishing things and family and all that kind of stuff. It's great if it's a subcategory of ultimate wisdom, which is about God. So who are these wise men that we see in Matthew chapter 2 and what made them wise? They're called magi, which is like magicians. They're like astro astrologers from the east, from the kingdom of Persia, right? So this doesn't have a lot of uh, context or, or uh, reference for you and I for the most part. All we know about magic is like David Blaine or whoever we see on TV. But these were very, very important people in the days of Jesus. They were considered the wise ones. They were considered the, the studiers. They could map the stars. And they, like many of you guys still, like you should not get on these things and look at these horoscopes. They were the ones developing these things and communicating them. And people were actually seeing the power of it, if that makes sense, right? So many people are into astrology and their horoscopes. Why? Because a lot of times it proves to be relatively accurate. So imagine in this day and age, 2,000 years ago, you've got these different men and women across the whole planet that are able to tell people things and show people things and conjure up spirits. The Bible talks about that. It doesn't say, hey, don't worry about uh, people who conjure up spirits and sorcery, right, and demons. Don't worry about that because it's not real. No, it says it's real and people will do it and can do it and you need to run away from it and don't get involved in it. That's right. So imagine these people who are embracing these things and the impact that it's having on that society 2,000 years ago. That's who we're talking about when we talk about these magi, right? They're educated, manipulating elements, doing magic, reading the stars. I'm gonna read a story to you guys. Hopefully it'll give a little bit of a context for uh, these sorcerer type people. This is from the book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter eight, verse five. It says, uh, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Right? So Jesus dies and he resurrects. The disciples get filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to preach. They get uh, persecuted, so they start spreading out all over the place. And then Philip goes to a particular area of Samaria. He starts preaching, and people are getting healed. He's touching them. They're getting delivered. Demons are coming out. People are getting healed and walking. Just like Jesus said, the things that you've seen me do, you guys are going to do these same things, right? So that's what's happening. The city is overjoyed. Verse 9 says, but. Everybody say, but. 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 There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. 
And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So this man is a sorcerer, the same thing that we're talking about with the Magi. He has power, he has ability, he has clout within the community. It says everybody, from the lowest to the greatest in Samaria, they came to him and said, this man has the power of God. This man is the reflection of God. Look at the things that he can do. But isn't it interesting that within himself, he knew that he wasn't what everybody thought he was. That even though they thought that he was God or had the power of God or was a reflection of God, he knew within himself that he wasn't. And when that real power came onto the scene, he was drawn towards it. He was willing to let go of what he had in pursuit of something that was greater. Right? It's the same thing with you and I. If we're going to be wise men and wise women, there are people with powers and strength and ability and confidence. But what we bring to the table should be in contrast to that and say, wow, that's actually the power of God. Amen. That's actually the word of God. That person actually has the peace that I appear to have, yes. right? There's so many people that have things and have accomplished things, but they don't really have the peace of God. So when you come onto the scene as a wise woman or a wise man, they should recognize, wow, actually what she has or what he has is the peace that I make everybody think I have. The peace that I, that I show people I have for my finances and my education and what I've accomplished and the stability I have and the family I have and the degrees we have and the colleges they went to, that people look at me and say, wow, that's wisdom and that's power and that's peace. No, actually this person over here that looks like their life is falling apart, when I get close to them, it's like Simon versus Philip. We've got to see ourselves in that light if we are actually men and women of wisdom who are in pursuit of God and finding him. So just like Simon, these wise men, they see something different. They study the stars, and then all of a sudden, there's a new star up there. And they're like, look, we can talk about these stars all we want. We can use them to explain things to people all we want. But we did not put that one up there, and we know that it means something, and we are led towards whoever did put that one up there. Listen to what the wise men ask. They start on this journey, and they get to... Uh, Jerusalem, they get to, to Herod and they say in verse 2 of uh, Matthew 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We saw his star. Where is he? What are they expecting? They're expecting that when they get there, the people of that community will already know exactly where he is and they'll already be worshiping him. Hey, we know we're late. We, came, we saw his star from the east. We're here now. Where is he? We want to worship him. And there's nobody worshiping him. Think about that with the church. If we represent the church, those who are outside from the east, Gentiles, those that don't know God, when they come to us and they say, where's the king? We came to worship him. Can we lead them into worship? Can we show them who the king is? Can we talk about him because we've been fellowshipping with him? That's not what happens in this story. This new star appears in the sky. They know it's significant. And it's, it's this announcement of the birth of Christ. If you read in the other gospels, it talks about these shepherds who are in the field late at night. And it says that an angel appears to them and says, hey, the king is here. He's been born. Go. And what happens? They find him in a manger, right? 
He's in a manger, just like we read the story, and, and there he is, little baby Jesus, and they come and they worship. But with these magi, with these uh, uh, wise men from the east, it says that they see a star. You know, it takes them two years to get there. Two years of following a star to get to Jesus. When they find him, he's not in a manger. He's in a house, and it says that he's a young child with his mother. And two years later, again, they, they get onto the seed, and what are they expecting? Man, everybody's going to be around, and everybody's going to know about him. And every, the church is going to be, right? Jerusalem is going to be on fire with this king that's there, and nothing. But they've been in pursuit of him, following this sign from heaven to get to him. See, God speaks to us in our language, right? With the shepherds, he's like, look, you already are part of this community. You're already here. You're Israelites. You know that your king is coming. All we have to do is tell you, hey, the Messiah has arrived, and they're there within minutes. He's still in the manger. With the Gentiles, right, it may take them longer to get there, but he still speaks in their language. He says, oh, you guys are magicians and philosophers, and you're looking at the stars. Let me show you something that will lead you to my son. I think the same thing is true today, right? God will speak to us in our own language. What you're going through, God will use that to bring you to his son. What you're into, God will use that to bring you to his son. But will we be wise enough to follow? Will we be strong enough to endure a long journey? Will we not give up and turn back when it gets hard? Why is all this important to us? I think we have to decide which type of people that we're going to be. Listen to verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, right? They come in verse 2, they say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We came to worship him, right? So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They get there expecting the city to be on fire for two years because the king has been born and he should be being worshipped. And when they get there, the actual people who should be worshipping worshiping him, the Pharisees and the ruler of that community, they're asking each other, hey, where is he supposed to be born? Who's this king? Herod rules the community, and he's asking the scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees already know, but they're not actually looking for him. Think about that for a second. How many people in the church know about Jesus, know who he is, know what the story says and what we're supposed to be doing, but we're not actually looking for him? They didn't have to go searching. Herod asked them, where is he supposed to be born? Right away they said he's supposed to be born in Jerusalem, or excuse me, in Bethlehem. Here's what the prophecy says. And then you've got this group of wise men who are following this direction from God, and they won't be stopped until they find him. One group has knowledge and one group has wisdom. Knowledge is good. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is putting that knowledge in practice. What good is it to know that the Messiah is coming and know what city he's going to be born in and not actually be looking for him? Amen. Then you got this other group of the wise men. They say, listen, he's coming. We're looking for him. We see the star. 
We've traveled a long distance to get to him, and we will not stop until we find him. The reason it's important is you have to decide what kind of Christian, if we can even use that word in this context, that you want to be. Are you one who knows the story, right? But you're not really looking for him. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. Or are you one who maybe knows the story, you're, you're learning the story, you're, you're seeing the stars as you come on Wednesday night to Bible study, you're seeing the star appear that you didn't see before. As you come into series and our Sunday services, you're seeing things that you didn't see before and you've made it up in your heart, I am going to seek that Jesus until I find him. And then I'm going to worship him. And then I'm going to give unto him. And I won't relent. Hebrews 11:6. this is our scripture from Wednesday night, says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what we talked about on Wednesday night. We're coming to God because we believe he exists. We're following the star because we believe a king has been born. We believe that he actually is, and we believe he's going to reward us for diligently seeking him. I love how this is lined up. Uh, between Wednesday night and, and this Sunday sermon about this arrival, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you had to ask yourself this morning, just like I have to ask myself, are you like a wise man or wise woman who is staking all to follow and find Jesus? Are you searching for him with all your heart, with expectation that you will be rewarded for this diligent pursuit of God? Or maybe a Pharisee or a scribe who lives at the church, who comes to the church, who knows what it's supposed to be, but actually you're not really in any type of pursuit. I think it's just something to think about, something to pray about. So number one, wise men, wise women, we focus on the Lord. God is what gives us wisdom. Our pursuit of God, acknowledging of God, is what gives us uh, true wisdom. The difference between knowledge, coming in here and getting all of this head stuff and understanding of the scriptures, or getting some of this head stuff and understanding so that we can have an experience and pursuit of him and find him, right? Imagine what it must have been like after two years to show up in a house and see him. You've got there to come and to worship him, and you walk into the house, and you just see this little two-year-old go running by. <laughs> there he is. There he is. I wonder how many people have never had that experience to find the one that you've been looking for. So number two, kings and kingdoms. Kings and kingdoms just want to give us a little understanding of what, what the world kind of looked like when Jesus was born into the world. Uh, you have the Rome, uh, Roman rule, right? They're, the, they're the, uh, the rulers of the world, right? They had a Caesar who was basically their king, and he ruled all of the known world at the time when Jesus was born. They established governors, so every area that they would conquer, they would put a governor there, right? So later on, we're going to read about Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman ruler, the Roman governor of the uh, territory of Judea, right? Jerusalem, Judea, that whole area where Israel uh, lives. Then within that, Rome places a 
local king or authority, and that's Herod. So when you read this story, think Rome rules everything. Rome has a governor. Then underneath the governor, uh, Israel or Judea has a king, and it's King Herod, Herod the Great, that really rules the community, that really rules the area, that really is part of the culture of the people. And that's how Rome would do it all over the world. All right? This Herod that's in authority is ruthless, a crazy ruler. Right? He killed one of his wives because he thought that she was plotting on him. He killed family members and his own kids to make sure that he was never taken off of the throne. This is not like your benevolent king that everybody loves. He's like, I want to be the authority. I want to be king. And I don't care who I have to kill to make sure that I remain the king. Right? So he's on the throne when Jesus is born. You got this king and kingdoms and under, under them, right? Eventually, he's going to die before uh, Jesus is grown and finishes his ministry. His son comes on the scene, and he's just as ruthless as his dad. Read through the scriptures. His son is the one that chops the head off of uh, John the Baptist. Later on, Jesus is going to come in. He goes to, think about this. Jesus goes before the, ki the kingdom of Rome to the governor, Pontius Pilate. And Pontius says, hey, where are you from? And they say, Galilee. And he says, oh, then go see Herod. He really runs that area. I represent Rome and the whole kingdom. I'm not even going to deal with you, Jesus. You go see Herod. Let him make a decision about this. Jesus comes to Herod's son, right? That's in, in uh, authority at the time. And he begins to ask him, hey, I heard about this, Jesus. Do a miracle. Do something. And Jesus doesn't even say a word to him. See, there's kings and there's kingdoms, there's lines of authority. And if you watch Jesus, he doesn't even speak to this man. Not only because of who he is and what he's done and the lineage that he comes from, but also because he has a different understanding of who the real king is and who the real authority is. Why is all this important to us? I believe that there's kingdoms within kingdoms within kingdoms, right down to the kingdom where you and I sit as the Lord of our homes. <laughs> Many of you, if you're honest, I, I have to be honest with myself, you know that you're really the king or the queen of your world, right? There may be Rome, right? And then there may be a governor, and then there may be Herod, and then there may be whoever's underneath that. If you look at your life, right, we have all these authorities in our lives, but at the end of the day, you're really the queen of your house. You're really the king of your house. You're really the, the authority. You may, you may have to answer to that boss for a certain amount of hours, but wait till I go home. I'm really the king. I'm really the authority. You may have to obey the laws of the land, but at the end of the day, you know that you're really the king or the queen or the authority. If there's one thing that Jesus' arrival does, it challenges the place and the authority of all other kings. When Jesus arrives, what it does is it challenges the place that all these other kings and kingdoms have and their authority. Why is Herod so upset and why is he so worried? He's concerned about his place and his authority. He's not so concerned that he still has to be underneath uh, the governor and underneath Rome. He's just concerned that somebody's going to uh, take his spot, his kingdom. That's how most of us are with Jesus. We're, we're not concerned about who we still have to answer to. We just don't want him to become Lord of our house. We don't want him to be authority of our lives. Jesus' arrival challenges every other king and every other kingdom. There's only two choices when Jesus arrives. As he's crowned as king, either you can worship or you can rebel. That's it. Worship and rebellion. Are you a worshiper? <clears throat> if you're not sure, chances are you're in rebellion. 
Revelation 17, 4 says this, or excuse me, 17, 14 says that these will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. They're going to attack the Lamb. They're going to make war with the Lamb. They're going to rebel against the Lamb. But he's going to be Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him are called faithful. They're called chosen. Verse 7, Herod says this, He secretly called the wise men and determined from them what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring word back to me, and I may come and worship him also. This looks like worship, right? They come in, where's the king? We saw the star, we want to worship him. Herod says, that's awesome, go find him. When did, by the way, when did you see that star? How long have you been on this journey? Okay, when you find him, come back, and then I'm going to go, and I'm going to worship him too. See, the wise come to worship. They come bearing gifts, but Herod is actually plotting rebellion and assassination. There's a lot of people who look like they want to worship God, and they want to seek God, and they want to find him, and they want to find Jesus so that they can make him king and they can worship him. But in reality, it's just a clever plot of assassination and rebellion. Right. Herod doesn't want Jesus. He doesn't want to recognize him as king, and he doesn't want to worship him. He wants to have a better method of assassinating him and rebelling against him. How many people have told us basically the same thing? Oh, yeah, go to church. And I would go too if I wasn't working. I would go too if I wasn't busy. But tell me what you're learning. And I, I want to serve God too. And you know what? I'm pretty spiritual too. But the reality is, no, you don't want to worship him. <laughs> you don't want to make him Lord and King. You want to feel better about your rebellion. And don't feel bad. I'm not just pointing the finger at them because that's how all of us used to be. That's how I used to be. I don't want to worship God. I was in rebellion. We have to search our hearts this morning. Is Jesus the one that we seek to worship? Are we seeking to make him king of our lives? Or are we trying to maintain our kingdom within the kingdoms? Be honest. Are you trying to maintain your authority and, and you and your kingdom within the other kingdoms of this world? Or are you trying to make Jesus Lord of Lords and King of Kings over everything, and especially over you and your home? Does that question make sense this morning? It's a tough one, huh? <clears throat> I think we have to understand that the powers in this world that we live in are working to dethrone Jesus. That's, that's what the world that we live in is. Nobody wants Jesus to be on the throne. Don't tell us about our marriage. Don't tell us about our morals. Don't tell us about our finances. Don't tell us about what we should be thinking about community when we want to be thinking about us as individuals. We don't want Jesus. The world doesn't need Jesus. That's the, the main thrust of the world that we live in is that we don't need rules, regulations, outdated theories, and, and understandings of morality. We don't want that king, and we definitely don't want him on the throne of our lives. We don't want to hear about him on a daily basis. We don't want him judging us for what we want to do in our schools and what we want to teach. We want him off of the throne. So where does that put you and I and how we relate to Jesus and how we serve him? I know that we're looking at the birth of this king this morning, but I think when we look at the cross, 
we should be compelled when we look at what happened when he's born, right? It's the, it's the king and the cross. What happened when he's born, but then what happens at the end of his life when he's on the cross? And we should be compelled in saying, we cannot let him be dethroned. Like that should be our mantra. That should be how we think about everything is, I will not allow Jesus to be dethroned in my life. And I'm aware that the world I live in is trying to dethrone him, period. Why is that so important? I think that the rebellion, the assassination attempts on Jesus that are still on, ongoing are very crafty. And they actually work with our nature to pull us into the rebellion. Our nature is to want to be king and want to be queen and want to be on the throne and not to surrender. Right? If that's our human nature and the world that we live in is playing into that nature, we have to be vigilant not to become part of the rebellion, even on accident. We have to be vigilant not to encourage each other to be part of the rebellion on accident. Amen. We can do that, but the way that we talk or the way that we look at Jesus or the way that we refuse to, to really worship him or really surrender and then we coddle one another and say, it's all right, sis, it's all right, brother, like don't even worry about, no, it's, it's not really all right. He's gotta be king, he's gotta be worshiped. These wise men came to Jesus and they're worshiping a two-year-old. Think about that for a second. When, when I'm studying this, when I'm reading this, this is the thought that came into my mind and into my heart is that how crazy that must have looked to the world. Not only are we willing to leave our home and our country and our people, we're going to bring all of our riches and our wealth and we're going to lay it down at his feet, but he's a two-year-old and we're going to worship him. You know that that same thing is happening today. It doesn't matter uh, who you are, that that's how the world looks at you if you worship Jesus. Man, you're a fool. We may not be worshiping the, the two-year-old Jesus, but we still look the same way to the world. I hope that makes sense to somebody this morning. It made a whole lot of sense to me. And to never forget it. The world is never going to embrace you and say, oh, that's awesome. No, they're going to look at you like you're a fool and we're wise. Kingdoms and the kings. The last one I want to share with you briefly is just about the future. Why this stuff matters um, to me, why it matters to you. This future, uh, Jesus' arrival is the fulfillment of a prophecy. God said it was going to happen and then it happened. Amen? Amen? That's supposed to give us joy. What's the point of prophecy? You know, the Bible talks about, hey, you should pursue all the gifts and tongues and praying in the Spirit. Come on Friday night. It says pursue all of that. But... First pursue that you would prophesy. Why? Because prophecy, telling somebody, right, about what God has said and what God is going to do, and then when God does it, it produces joy and excitement because it's like, hey, you tell, you're telling me that God said he was going to send somebody to save us, and he did. You're telling me that God said he was going to deliver you, and he did. You're telling me that God said he was going to heal your relationship, and he did. That gives joy. When God has, uh, uh, brings prophecy into our life and it's fulfilled, there is great joy that's supposed to transpire. That's what's happening here with these, uh, these wise men in this, this, this moment in time where Jesus comes into the world. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. When they say, when Herod even asks, where's he going to be born? It comes from Micah 5, 2, this prophecy. It says, you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, 
whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. It's a prophecy out of Bethlehem. Nobody knows about you. Nobody cares about you. You know right now that Bethlehem's not even uh, uh, um, uh, ruled by Israel, the city of Bethlehem, right? We were there and we had to actually have police escorts when we went into that particular city because uh, the Jews don't have authority there. The Palestinians do. It says, hey, out of you, little Bethlehem, the one who's going to rule over everything is going to come. And then he does. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1 says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. There's these prophecies of people coming expecting the king and the, and the king taking rule. So out of Saul's hands into David's hands, uh, David being 30 years old, just like Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. There's these prophecies, and when these things begin to happen, the people who are paying attention rejoice. <clears throat> Prophecy gives us courage. How many of you, if you could have a dream, let's say, and God says, hey, this is what's going to happen next week. No matter if it was good or bad, how many of you feel like you'd be more courageous when that happened a week later, <laughs> right? We'd be more bold, right? If God said to these, these wise men, I'm going to put a star in the sky, you're going to see the king of Israel, you're going to get there, and two years later, when he's there, who could stop you from serving him? Who could stop you from worshiping him? Who could stop you from being bold about that? I think God wants us to be, to be bold. He wants us to know the future. He wants to unfold, unfold his plan for us like he did in these days. These that were looking for a star and they see the star. I feel like for me lately what God has been doing is, is giving me these types of dreams, giving me these, these types of visions. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. I've had two times where God woke me up out of my sleep. And they were very random. It wasn't like these, these, uh, these words. You know how some people tell you, like, I heard God. It was like an angel. And he said, thou shalt this and thou shalt that. They were just really not like that. <laughs> I was at a dead sleep. This was in 2017. I have it in my notes somewhere. I was looking back for, for what the date was. And about two, between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, I wake up in the bed. And loud as if Jesus was right next to me, it says, William Tyndale. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know who that is. I don't know what that's about. Like, like, Lord, give me something spiritual. Give me something biblical. It's like just this dude's name. And in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, I grab my cell phone and I write down the name, right? And then I go back to sleep because I don't know what it is. <laughs> and then I get up later. I think it was probably even a couple days later before I really looked. And this dude is responsible for translating the Bible, printing the Bible, and spreading it all over Europe, and then eventually to America. Many of your Bibles will be from the Tyndale Press right now. And I'm still praying through it and learning about him. I've read a lot of things on him since then, but I feel like personally what God was saying is, don't ever stop getting the word out, Vaughn. Don't ever be discouraged. Amen. Don't think that there's something else you need to be doing. Get my word out to people. 
See, prophecy is supposed to give you joy. Prophecy is supposed to give you boldness. Prophecy is supposed to give you courage, right? And all kinds of people, I'm sure, have heard different things from God. And I, I, and I don't care what anybody says. I know it was God. And I heard it, and it woke me up out of my sleep, and it matters to me, right? It gives me boldness, gives me courage. So that was in the middle of 2017. The second time that happened was last week, just this last week. And it was the same exact kind of experience. Between 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning, woke up out of my sleep, and I'm sitting up in the bed. Mary's knocked out snoring next to me. <laughs> And, and, this, and this word is what I heard God saying to me. He said, he said, the Marxist view of marriage. Like, this isn't something that you would just randomly think about. I'm not reading anything about that. It's not, it has nothing to do with anything like that. It was just like the last time where it's the middle of the night and I did the same thing. I got my phone and I just said, the Marxist view of marriage. And then two or three days went by and I was like, oh man, I, Mary and I were talking about something else. I was like, oh, that reminds me, I need to look this up. I went and looked it up and the Marxist view of marriage is that marriage needs to be abolished and that gender roles need to be abolished, right? Marxist, communism, right? And that the only way to uh, equality and utopia and peace and, and all these movements that we see happening now, right, that are attacking the marriage. And I felt like God was saying to me, you know, stay focused on my word. This rebellion is going to be ongoing. It's been happening for a long time and it's not over. You have to know what I say. You have to understand that the rebellion is coming and you can't even accidentally be drawn into the rebellion. What is God trying to speak to you? What is God trying to prophesy over you? What is God trying to show you about tomorrow and next week and next year? And the boldness that it's supposed to give you, right? I'm closing. This is it. Verse 11 of our scripture this morning says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Speaking of these wise men, it says, When they came, came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We always read this story as there's three wise men. They say that it was probably closer to at least 20 and maybe 100. And that's why the whole city's in an uproar. And that's why Herod's in an uproar. It's not three guys that snuck into the city. You have a uh, procession of wealthy people coming into your community from the east and saying, Hey, King Herod, where's your replacement? Where's the real king that's going to dethrone you? And they come into this house, Mary and Joseph. It doesn't say that they bowed down and said, Hail Mary, mother of God, full of grace, does it? No, they didn't even pay attention to her. They said, look at him. There he is. Oh, my God. And they start showering him with wealth and with gifts. But here's the great part. Verse 12. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. See, they had a dream. They had prophecy. God divinely showed them something, and you know what it gave them? It gave them courage. We don't care about Herod. We're not going to go back to him and tell him what it is that he wants to know because there's a new king, and he has replaced all others. He now supersedes all others. We care about him and his plan and his will his desire. He's Lord of Lord and he's, kings of, and he's King of Kings and we don't care what the consequences are with Herod or with Pontius Pilate or with Rome. Man, I want him to be King of Kings in our lives. I want us to have dreams and visions and prophecy that gives us courage and joy. 
They were excited to serve him. They were excited to leave their past behind. They were excited to rebel against all other kings, right? And to make this two-year-old Lord of their lives, king of their lives, worthy of all of their riches and their wealth. God sets the bar high for us. We're Gentiles. Angels appeared to shepherds and say, come on over, he's in a manger. God put a star up for us and said, to your journey, but when you get there, everything will be different in your life. I hope we're ready to journey. Worship team, would you come? Prayer team, would you get ready? I just want to ask this morning, if you're here and you're not saved, but you want to be, you guys can all stand with me. Um, Sometimes we ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you, I'm looking right at you. If you're not saved, but you want to be, I want to pray with you. If uh, you've never come into the house of the king and seen him, and said, oh, that's it. He deserves everything. Hopefully today maybe could be your day. If there's anybody, we want to pray with you. We want to talk to you. We want to answer questions for you. Would you just identify yourself? You can raise your hand. You can wave. You can say, I want to be saved. You can say anything you need. Anybody? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I hope you're in pursuit of him this morning. If you're here and, and you're not saved, I hope that you've begun to see that star and the fact that you're even here in this building today means that you're taking some steps in that direction, right? See, the wise men, they just kept going. There are plenty of reasons to turn around, plenty of reasons to stop. If we're honest, maybe in that two-year journey, some of them maybe even turned back before they made it. But you're here this morning. You're heading in the right direction. Bible says even after they went to Herod and they asked, hey, where is he? That they left out of there and the star kept moving and then it stopped over the house where he was at. And they were able to go right there and find him. God will lead you directly to his son. You won't just have to be close. He'll lead you right to him. I want to encourage you. If that's you, you're not saved. Um, When you find yourself in that place, just bow down. Give him everything you got right there in that spot. He wants to be Lord. He wants to be king. For the rest of us, I just want to pray that we would be worshipers and not rebellers. Those are our two options. He comes into the world. He comes to be king. He comes to be Lord. And we can either, like the wise men, come and worship and lay down our lives and and set him up as reigning ruler, as Lord of Lord and King of Kings of our life, or we can have clever plots of rebellion that look like worship, but they're really not. I want to pray with you guys this morning that it would be full surrender, full worship, no rebellion, and that anytime you feel that, that spirit of rebellion, that you would just fight against it. That you would understand that the world is going to encourage that spirit of rebellion. It's going to make you practice it at work when you rebel against your boss. It's going to make you practice it at home when you rebel rebel against the authority of your husband. It's going to make you practice it as a child when you rebel against the authority of your parents. The world is, is feeding that rebellious spirit within you. But we're not led by that spirit. We have the spirit of God alive inside of us. We can be humble. We can be obedient. We can surrender. We can have a spirit like Jesus had. He says, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't do. I don't say anything that the Father doesn't say. It's not about what I want. I just want the will of the Father to be done. That's the spirit that he wants to be alive inside of us. We have to rebel against the spirit of the world. I also want to pray for courage. 
that you would hear things from God and that his word would supersede the word of others. When God says you can do something, when God says you need to go back and finish something, when God says he's going to make a way, but it's going to be a hard two-year journey, don't listen to the world. Say, I heard you, Lord. You've given me a dream. You've given me a vision. You've given me a word, and I just won't stop. I have courage. I have power. I have boldness. Man, I pray that for you guys this morning because there will be hard times. And then finally, I just want to pray that... uh, that Jesus would truly be Lord of Lord and King of Kings in your life. There's kingdoms within kingdoms within kingdoms, the same way that it was Rome, and then they had their governor, and then they had Herod. It's the same thing in our lives. There's just these layers of authority. And instead of trying to climb up that ladder, or instead of trying to maintain whatever degree that you have, let's just throw it all away and say, Jesus, you get to be King of Kings. You get to be Lord of Lords. Lord, we thank you this morning that you came. We thank you that you give us this example, Lord, not just of the shepherds who were part of your community and part of the children of Israel that heard an angel speaking loud and clearly to them that you were there and they could rush over to see you in the manger, Lord. But we thank you that you've made a way for the Gentiles, Lord, that you put stars in the sky. You put friends in our lives, Lord God. You put trial and tribulation and difficulty and loss and addiction into our lives that it could speak to us to seek after the Son. Speak after the one who was born king. To seek after the one that you sent to save us, Lord God. Help us to pursue you. Help us to worship and not rebel, Lord God. Give us courage. Continue to shine that light above us that could lead us and guide us into a closer and intimate relationship with you. Let us go beyond knowledge and coming into the church, Lord, to hear your word. To just get understanding, Lord, but for us to have action behind that. We don't want to be like the scribes or the Pharisees who knew you were coming, but they weren't seeking you, Lord God. We want to be wise men and wise women, Lord, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, within our families. Let us be those who are wise because we seek you until we find you, and then we stay with you, never to leave you and never to forsake you like you never leave us nor forsake us, Lord God. This morning as we as we have communion, God, It's a reminder that we have found you. Those that come, those that come for communion, this is a reminder that you found him and that he lives inside of you, that you have a new life and a new spirit, that you've been born again, that you don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God and by the spirit of God, Lord. Would you bless this time of communion? Let us have prayer together. Let us have worship together. Let us be reminded of your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You're released. The altars are open. Praise the Lord. You can have communion. If you're down here, our prayer team will pray pray with you. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a Savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. 
For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.